Hello, listeners. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are, and welcome to another US edition of Cloud Ninefin, your weekly update on the ever-changing world of leveraged finance. So recently, we've focused on showcasing some of our own stories on this podcast, but we wanted to take a break from that this week. So we're going back to our original format and interviewing a guest from the market. So without further ado, I want to introduce Chris Ring, who's a debt finance partner at Goodwin Proctor out on the West Coast. So Chris, thanks so much for joining us on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right. We've talked a lot on this podcast about the backlog of LBO financings, which has been a huge theme this year in markets. And we've talked about how painful this can be for the banks when they try to offload this debt at today's higher pricing. So Chris, from where you sit, how is this dynamic impacting underwriting behavior at the moment? Uh, Yeah, I mean, it's definitely having an impact uh, in the syndicated loan market. Uh, With respect to right now, I mean, the syndicated loan market is not very open at all. (laughs) Um, And especially the time of year we're in. But when you have several of these large deals that are outstanding right now, where um, the banks are sitting with large commitments that they can't uh, syndicate out and and with with the type of flex that they have in those deals, not letting them go to the level that they need to to be able to offload that without taking big losses. It, it's having a huge impact on on these banks and, and arrangers wanting to be involved in underwriting a deal. Um, and so from the standpoint of the syndicate loan market, especially right now where you have some of these deals that's been sitting out there a while that haven't came to market for various reasons, um, and, and where you're in a market where there's not a lot of other issuances to help try to drive where things are headed, and you're heading into the August blackout period here fairly soon, uh, the issuance um, in the market uh, and what's pricing in the market, it, there's very few deals to do that, which leads even to uh, further risk for the underwriters to take on and underwrite a new deal. Um, and with obviously the outlook of a potential recession looming, that just complicates things further. And any deal that an arranger would want to underwrite right now would take the level of flex and pricing that the you know, sponsors are not going to be okay with taking on. And, and frankly, they can do better in the uh, private credit uh, world for, for right now than what taking the risk of having a lot of pricing flex and then getting flexed to the max and with the underwriters readjusting what they would have had a few months ago because of their experience and the market with being stuck potentially with huge losses on certain deals that are out there. Okay, so I'm going to ask the obvious question, which is given how slow the new issuance market is at the moment, what are you, as a debt finance lawyer, spending your time on these days? You know, I, I'm still really busy uh, with uh, I have several deals, bo- both like deals that are, uh, you know, with with companies that are public that are in the process of getting like revolving financings because the 
the more like re- cash flow revolvers and ABLs are still that markets. It's mainly, you know, like the term loan B market that's really being impacted a lot right now. Um, so doing deals like that where people want to make sure, you know, they have appropriate liquidity going forward. Um, same thing on uh, the sponsor front, um, making sure they have enough revolver capacity. But also the other thing that I've been working on is many of the lenders have increased their delayed draw term loan capacity with their existing lenders. Now, part of the thing with those existing lenders, some of them aren't taking on as much as they were earlier uh, private credit lenders. And so you're having to spread out your relationships a little more and getting a few more involved in that. But you're still seeing them load up on delayed draw term loans in the hope that there will be potential acquisition prospects you know, whether with the add-on market for their existing portfolio companies, realizing as far as like from a platform perspective, a lot of people aren't ready to right-size where EBITDA multiples are. But in the case, especially of add-ons, where there's sometimes more um, ability to be opportunistic um, in that market to have the potential uh, capacity to borrow, to take on, those additional um, targets uh, I, I've seen happen quite a bit. And, and just in the portfolio of deals, sponsor deals I do, uh, I mean, there's been tons that have added delayed draw term loan capacity. Uh, the other thing you're seeing uh, is where they're looking for additional um, credit. They're, they're hitting the preferred uh, equity and, and, and pick notes route. So, you know, that way you can lever up higher. The pricing's obviously higher at that level, but there's still um, people in that market with the returns they're getting uh, that, that are willing to, to step up to the plate there and still provide amounts uh, as well. And then, you know, obviously there's a few uh, deals that I have that have you know, have had supply chain issues and things of that nature that are in the process of having certain restructuring around them as well. So, you know, there's there's a a mix of of various types of of deals that that I'm still seeing. Yeah, that makes sense. So actually, my next question was going to be about how sponsors are reacting to this difficult environment in in primary. Um, But you already mentioned two things that they're, they're doing. So let's talk about those. I mean, the, the first one you mentioned was companies increasing the size of their delayed draw facilities. Um, and I'm sure a lot of those companies are sponsor backed. And you also mentioned sponsors looking to pick notes and preferred equity to increase leverage. And these both kind of sound like ways that sponsors are sort of working with what they've got to increase returns from deals they've already done or are already in the process of doing. Um, so yeah, like I said, working with what they've got without having to rely on today's difficult primary markets. Is that the right way to think about it? Yeah, exactly. That, that That's definitely right. And, you know, the other thing that I'm seeing some sponsors do is for purposes of liquidity with their um, existing portfolio companies is think about uh, uh, having interests uh, be paid in pick, so paid in kind. Um, and some of them already have a pick toggle, pick toggle function 
uh, and the ones that don't, they're considering it. Um, you know, it partially it's depending on the price that they get for that pick toggle, but it allows them some flexibility if they want to switch to some paid and kind interest without having to pay cash. It obviously helps have some additional liquidity in case things get worse. Right. So pick notes are tricky instruments and they don't necessarily have a, a great track record. Um, especially among uh, among debt investors. Um, so is the thinking here that maybe incorporating a pick into a capital structure now is a, a kind of acceptable strategy if you think this potential recession is going to be short and shallow? Like it helps you conserve cash flow to ride out the downturn. But if the downturn doesn't turn out to be too too deep or too long, then you can hopefully get to work fairly quickly on reducing the increased principal from the pick. Is that, does that make sense? Right. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's like conserving cash for now and being able to once things where people can see more of a clear picture of where things are headed. Um, you know, it's just giving them flexibility for a runway to the extent they need to. Um, and then, yeah, the hope is, is that any type of recession that we'll be able to move out of fairly quickly uh, once, you know, inflation kind of gets under control here. Um, uh, and, and so th that's the thinking uh, along with along the lines of making sure that they have additional capacity for borrowing as, as necessary, whether, you know, with, with respect to revolver and, and things of that nature, it's definitely around the, the liquidity and making sure they have that. And then also looking around if they need to at whether there's cost cutting initiatives that they don't already have that they can use to the extent necessary. Okay, got it. And speaking of sponsor activity, I wanted to talk about the potential for an increase in public to private M&A, which a lot of people seem to be forecasting as public equity valuations fall. And that will make sense, of course, but the, the one piece of the puzzle that's missing um, is a kind of a reliable primary credit market to finance the debt component of those potential deals. So do you think this wave of public to private deals actually materializes or is the financing market just too much of, a, of an obstacle at the moment? Yeah, I mean, in the near term, I don't think it's going to materialize really that much for several reasons. First, uh, even with equity valuations going where there are, you know, you still have to get voter buy-in to be able to get the approvals you need. And I think people still think that hopefully there's a short enough like recovery period here that equity values will start to go up. Um, so that's one complication. The other is the financing for it. Um, you know, especially this, you're going to have to hit the direct lender market likely because the syndicated loan market right now, it's just, especially with many getting burned. And if they're big enough, like take privates, uh, they're, they're going to obviously need a substantial amount of financing and, and depending on the size. And, and I mean, with private credit continuing to go up in, in amounts where you can see it even go, you know, above 5 billion, uh, you know, I think, even in that market, some of them want to club it up more and, and this type of not knowing and uncertainties around where things are headed. But but I think some of the financing, especially on the larger take privates, will be uh, 
somewhat hard to do, uh, depending on the exact size. But if they're large enough, even private credit, at some point, even as they're reaching new heights on stuff, they're, you're going to uh, max out the amount that you can get from them. And with the syndicated loan market, and when you're thinking of bridge to bond type deals, they're just, at this point, they're just really not happening um, with, with the with the syndicated loan market where it is. Uh, so I, I think for the near term, at least the next few months, I don't think this will materialize. Could it down the line? Yes, as people kind of get understanding of where we're headed and they feel comfortable at uh, based on that and, and whether that's the evaluations are like, well, they are what they are now and we don't see like a quick bounce back. Um, and I think it's still fresh in the heads of people around you know, I know it was a whole different situation, but 2020, where we all thought we were headed to a downturn and things turned quickly. I realize this is a whole different situation uh, in the macro economy that's going on, but but I still think people are hoping it'll be relatively uh, short um, in that regard. All right. And finally, um, all of this uncertainty in markets, all these big losses at investment banks and their poor earnings recently, that's understandably leading to suggestions that some of the big banks and maybe some other large institutions within the leveraged finance space might start to make job cuts or implement other strategies to kind of right-size those divisions to reflect the, the difficult state of markets right now. So what's your take on that? Do you see that coming as well? Yeah, I mean, it, it's definitely going to... There's, there's a likely chance of there's going to be some uh, cuts... Um, here because of the fact that when these institutions are taking these big losses, right, they got to account for those. And not only is it the decision makers making it, but also with respect to they've had staff, right, for for so long for these where they were at max, you know, capacity, basically. Um, and they've needed lots of people for that. As things slow down and they're taking these losses, they're going to need to account for that. And one of the ways they're going to do it is through cuts and realize, you know, they're not going to just have people sitting around and, and, and paying them for when they're taking on these substantial hits and losses for uh, deals that they already have in the market that they can't syndicate. So I, I think that we will see this over the coming months. Um, e even in the, I think even in a situation for the syndicated loan market that you know, I don't see that bouncing back real soon um, unless we start to hear things differently. Uh, so, yeah, I, I, I would expect that there will be cuts and, and in order to try to cut back on some of the losses that they're already going to face and the fact of less demand for those type of deals in the in the current market. Yeah, that makes sense. So it could end up being a pretty painful few quarters for, for the banks here. Well, we should wrap it up there, but thanks so much for joining us, Chris. It's been a pleasure having you on the show. Yeah, thank you. That's all we've got time for this week. Thanks again for tuning in. And as always, if you enjoyed this episode, please don't forget to subscribe to the podcast, like the episode and share the love with anyone else you think might appreciate it. And make sure to check in next week with my colleague Kat Hidalgo in London, of course, for the latest on European markets. 
I'll be back the week after that. So until then, as always, take care.